Welcome to Fight Back Radio, the Marxist voice of labor and youth in Canada, and the best source for a revolutionary analysis of current events, perspectives, and theory. The following episode is from Marxist University, a series of discussions held in the fall of 2020 to introduce people to the most fundamental and pressing Marxist ideas. With the global crisis of capitalism and revival of class struggle everywhere, millions of workers and youth are looking for answers. It is therefore not surprising that there is a resurgence of interest in anarchism, along with the ideas of Marxism and socialism. In this talk, Fightback organizer and editor Joel Bergman discusses the difference between Marxism and anarchism and asks, what is the best method to fight capitalism and for the creation of a new society? Cool. Um, yeah, so I think this is a, a very important topic today. Um, why? Why is that? Well, I think that if we look at what's happening, I mean, as Moral mentioned, this is, this is one of the most convulsive periods in human history. And I think it's going to be the most convulsive period. Um, there's a global crisis of capitalism. Uh, the depth of the crisis is just worsening and worsening. And I, I think the real shit hasn't even hit the fan yet from the crisis that, that occurred this year because the government is artificially propping up the, the capitalists with state money uh, and someone's gonna have to pay for that eventually um, so so what this is this situation has been causing not just this year but for the past several years uh, there's been a huge revival of class struggle everywhere uh, revolutionary movements mass protest movements uh, like what we've seen in the US but all over the place uh, and, and a growing mood rejecting capitalism uh, I think the popularity of socialist ideas is evident from the amount of people that have registered for this Marxist university, which I believe is well over a thousand now. Um, uh, but I mean, just in general, there's there's mass uh, mass discontent, mass radicalization, um, and I think people are generally looking for new ideas. They're looking for new revolutionary ideas. They're looking for radical ideas. They're not happy with the status quo. Um, um, that millions of workers and youth are looking for answers, um, and that there's a renewed interest in Marxism, socialism, anarchism, communism, <laughs> as, uh, as 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 radical solutions to uh, capitalism, to the status quo. They're becoming popular, uh, and I think a lot of young people, um, maybe some people here, um, are rediscovering some of the old writers, including Marx, Lenin, <laughs> Trotsky, Engels, but also people like. Proudhon, Bakunin, maybe Kropotkin, some of the old anarchist writers, and maybe more, maybe some more modern writers, like some more modern anarchists, like Noam Chomsky or or Howard Zinn or something like that. Um, and uh, I guess you know, to the to the point that these writers, uh, the anarchist writers, like open people's eyes to the exploitative nature of capitalist society. Uh, this is all extremely positive, of course. Um, I mean, I remember. When I first was getting political, I read um, Chomsky's Manufacturing Consent, and it really was quite compelling, <laughs> opened my eyes, to the problem, uh, however, or to like a certain problem in society. However, I, I believe, and I'm going to argue here, that if you delve into anarchist ideas uh, and anarchist practice and analysis, uh, you find a, actually kind of a lack 
uh, of a real solution being proposed. Um, and actually a real lack, a sort of a shallow analysis, I would argue, of, of why society is the way it is. Um, now, that being said, I, I think anarchism is sort of popular amongst, especially a wide layer of, of young people, um, because I think it's, it's simple. It's easy to grasp, right? It's, uh, you reject the status quo, you reject authority, you reject hierarchy, you reject capitalism, you reject oppression, you reject exploitation, it's all bad, throw it out the window, we don't like it. Um, and really, how can you blame people <laughs> for, for thinking this? Our society is sick, right? Um, all of the institutions, all of the hierarchies, all of the authorities, all the institutions, uh, even the ones that are supposed to be on our side, meaning the trade unions, or even left-wing parties, social democratic parties, or even so-called communist parties sometimes, <laughs> where their significant forces end up seeming to work against our interests. Um, and the experience, and then on the, on the other hand, you have the experience of the Soviet Union, which is like, okay, well, <laughs> obviously socialism doesn't work, so there's gotta be another way. So I think, I think there is a, lar a lot of people that turn toward anarchist ideas. As a as a as a solution here, uh, so um, I mean, in a certain sense, Marxists agree with anarchists. We are comrades in struggle against the system and against the establishment, against the status quo. Uh, and we recognize that there's a big problem here. Um, and I think that most anarchist theory, or generally speaking, anarchists want the same thing as Marxists and vice versa. We want the same thing. Establishment of a classless, stateless society. Uh, um, generally speaking, we kind of want to have the same end goal, right? Uh, however, I believe that that's, that's really where, that's the overlap. And then after that, there's big divergences. So on the questions of why and how uh, things, why, why things are the way they are and how they got this way and how we're going to change things, I think it's radical different interpretations radical different analysis and in many ways totally opposite uh, in some ways I think philosophically very opposite and I'll explain why and I'll explain why I think many anarchist ideas are actually counterproductive um, so that being said I think this isn't an abstract debate I, I don't want to have it it's not like I'm just here to dunk on anarchist anarchism because I think it's fun or something um, it, this is very concrete um, and I'm going to try to make it concrete. I will talk a bit about the theory, some Marxist theory, some anarchist theory, but, I, but I, I'm going to use a lot of concrete examples to show in practice what ideas mean in re the real world. Um, that it's not just an abstract debate about authority or hierarchy or something like that. Um, so yeah, I believe that the truth is always concrete, uh, that we need to ascertain which ideas will concretely help the movement. Uh, and which ideas are actually kind of a hindrance. Um, so yeah, I believe this debate about Marxism or anarchism is, uh, is connected to the real living, breathing questions of the movement, the real living, breathing struggle. Uh, so yeah, uh, on question, I think the main questions that in where Marxists and anarchists diverge, again, I said it's a question of how, right? How to, how to, how to get there um, and how to, how, what do we do? And so in this, there's questions of organization, hierarchy, and authority. I think these are key things where there's wild divergences between anarchists and Marxists, in many ways complete opposite. Um, 
So central questions, do we need an organization? Is all authority bad, inevitably? Uh, do we need leadership? Things like this. Um, so Marx, I'll explain what Marx, Marxist analysis, Marx explained, uh, and this comes from an, total, an analysis of, of uh, the development of capitalism. So Marx, Marx explained that without organization, the working class is just raw material for exploitation. And that through experience, workers go from being a class in, its, in itself, so basically being kind of a, a socioeconomic category that we observe, to being a class for itself, being conscious, collectively conscious of its role at work. And I think we're starting to see that more and more. More people are conscious that they're working class and we need to collectively fight. Uh, and that the only strength that working class people have we don't own the banks, we don't have all the companies, we don't have all the capital and the money, uh, uh, we don't own the media, we don't, we rarely get anyone in, in public office that's going to be on our side. Um, is, our only real strength is unity, discipline, and organization. Uh, that we fight for, a, we fight for our, our livelihoods, you know. Uh, it starts, start, <laughs> starts on the, on the work, at work, really starts with a trade union activity, starts with the workers collectively confronting the boss, um, where, the, where the working class starts fighting for their, their own interests. Um, and this, this requires discipline, um, and it requires centralization, actually. When you fight the boss, you can't be all doing it on your own, right? Um, and this discipline is actually kind of enforced on the workers through capitalist production. That the, and in, in a very, very brutal way, that's how the workers learn that they need, they're organized together. You know, it forces people together. Um, but the workers then turn this against the capitalist. Um, so yeah, how do workers organize? Where well, I mentioned the trade unions. So a key component is democracy. So workers' democracy. Actually, democracy uh, doesn't come from capitalism. <laughs> it doesn't come from capitalism. You can read the history of capitalism. It doesn't. It was fought for by working class people. Capitalism gave the right to vote to basically property owning white dudes mostly, uh, which was a very small layer. Um, but, but democracy in terms of the universal suffrage was fought for by the, by working, the left, by working class parties, by the working class as a whole. Um, and that was, that was actually an extension of what working class people had already done uh, to fight against the capitalists, which is that you, you, you gather together, uh, you discuss what you're going to do to fight for a better wage or, <laughs> or a pension or whatever, uh, against the capitalist, against the boss, you discuss it, you vote on it, you make a decision, and you take collective action. And you have absolute centralization and discipline and accountability in that decision for the workers involved. So I believe that that's where sort of the, the general concept that Marxists adhere to, which we call democratic centralism as an organizational principle, comes from, comes from the working class movement. And really, we see this in any strike. So democracy is not... Uh, some abstract principle. It's a very concrete thing, as I've explained. That the, the vote, you have a discussion, freedom of debate, complete freedom of debate and discussion for all those concerned, uh, all the workers involved. Uh, and the, But then when there's time, for, there's time for action, you have to decide whether or not you are going to take collective job action, strike action, you're going to shut down production uh, to force your will. For, that's what that is. Force your will, the collective will of the workers, onto the capitalist to make them listen to you. The vote, the and then you you have to vote, and the the majority decides 
The majority has to decide. There's no other way to go about it. Uh, and then there's complete unity in action. Everyone strikes, even the minority. The minority is actually oppressed, if you want to put it that way. The, the authority of the strike is absolute. It is imposed on both the capitalists and on the minority of workers who maybe didn't vote for the strike or don't want to strike. Um, the people like the conservatives uh, always point out, capitalists and conservatives always point out how this is anti-democratic. It's against the rights of the minority. It is against the rights of the minority. <laughs> we defend the authority of the majority of the workers to vote to go on strike and to shut down production. Uh, and what do, you, what do you call people that still try to go to work? That's the minority that didn't win the vote or the debate and they still try to go to work. Well, you call them scabs. It's one of the worst insults uh, on the left. Um, now, you might ask, why is he using this example? Well, I think it's pretty clear this is fundamental to our struggle. Uh, we're seeing a revival of class struggle, of working class activity, and I hope that these concrete examples can demonstrate which ideas and principles are useful and work and help in practice to advance the struggles, and which ones don't. So I'm a firm believer that anarchist sort of anti-authoritarianism uh, taken to its logical conclusion would lead you to believe or to be anti-strike uh, and actually uphold the rights of the scabs because they didn't consent to this. <laughs> they didn't agree, so they can't have that authority imposed on them. Actually, according to anarchist theory itself, which I will quote. Uh, and so I think that's actually quite a damaging idea. Now, to be entirely fair, uh, I've heard many anarchists say, oh, no, 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 we're not opposed to that. What are you, crazy? We're, we're pro-strike. We hate scabs, right? Uh, okay, well, then what, what, what is this anti-authoritarianism you refer to? Well, it's against the authority. When you get into the details... It's against the authority of the minority of the capitalists, of the minority of the management, in favor of, and let's not mince words here, the authority of the majority of the working class against the minority of billionaires. Um, well, that's Marxism. <laughs> that's what a Marxist view, a class-based view on authority is. Uh, and uh, so it's not the problem, therefore is not authority in and of itself, but the class that wields it. And I think that's actually an extremely important thing for us to understand. Uh, that authority and power are not abstract principles, but are concrete social phenomenon that exist for a material reason and have evolved in their current form for a historic material reason. Uh, as Engels said, I recommend this text if you haven't read it. It's a short text. It's a text called On Authority. It's online. He says, uh, he's, he's, he's re responding to anti-authoritarian anarchists where he says, Have these gentlemen ever seen a revolution? A revolution is certainly the most authoritarian thing there is. And it, and it is. A revolution is essentially a massive strike where the vast majority of the population forces itself on to a tiny minority who lords over them. And that is one of the most, that is the most progressive thing I can possibly think of. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's uh, the masses entering the political arena, right? Uh, and that's not nice for the capitalists 
who are having someone who are having having their rights violated or their natural liberty violated if you, if you if you want to put it that way in anarchist terms um so yeah i guess my contention is that sort of anti-authoritarianism saying that the authority in and of itself is the problem uh is harmful if you actually ap apply it consistently because taken to its logical conclusion it paralyzes and destroys the movement um so that's, this is why I also believe that uh, I think quite often anarchists find themselves in all sorts of contradictions. Uh, if you, because if you want to do anything, basically, you can't avoid authority. Uh, uh, and, and you can be, uh, and I find a lot of anarchists end up being quite authoritarian, <laughs> attempting to force their will on others uh, with no democratic support or mandate or anything of, this, of such. I mean, I think even, you know, what, okay, so I said that the, the democratic centralism comes from the, the traditions of the working class, but what, are the anarchi what do anarchists generally put forward as an organizational method of making decisions, a decision-making thing? They put forward consensus, consensus-based decision-making, meaning that if the minority doesn't agree that no decision can be made, uh, or that if one person doesn't agree, that it paralyzes everything. Uh, so this is really actually the tyranny of the minority. If you think about it, you could never organize a strike this way. It really wouldn't work. It would completely paralyze the situation and make it impossible for the working class to fight back. Um, now, I understand it's not comfortable being in the minority. Uh, I've been in the minority most of my life, to be honest. I'm a Marxist. You get used to being in minority. Um, but that doesn't mean that the minority should just get to decide because you're not happy. Uh, you do have to understand that you are in a minority and you patiently, even though it's annoying, <laughs> argue your case to convince others to try to win the majority over. Uh, anything other than that is you end up kind of being a bit of an authoritarian forcing your views on others. Uh, so I think this would be very impossible for the working class to operate by this. Um, so a bit on some anarchist theory. Again, I'm not a super expert on this, but I have read a fair amount of Bakunin, Kropotkin, Proudhon, a uh, few more modern anarchists. Um, you know, sometimes it's said by Marxists that anarchists don't have theory. Uh, and while I think that there certainly is a bit of an anti-theory trend in anarchist groups, that's like, why do we need to read theory? We just want to fight, 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 you know, fight the boss, fight capitalism, fight oppression. Um, this isn't really true that there isn't theory behind it. There is, generally speaking. Um, and it's important that we, we, we know what that is. So what are the general theoretical underpinnings of anarchist ideas? Um, well, um, much of this really comes out of Enlightenment thought, actually. Bakunin himself was very influenced by European Enlightenment period philosophers, uh, which, of course, was all about the individual and inalienable rights of the individual. Uh, Bakunin talked about how humans are entirely natural creatures, like all other natural species, uh, imbued with a natural essence, and one and part of that essence was autonomy, uh, which ends up being very focused on individual rights and indi the individual. Um, and so Bakunin explained that acting freely is acting naturally, impulsively, spontaneously, against all force, uh, whether it's individual or collective, against all authority, basically. He said in his work... Uh, God and state, he said, liberty of man consists solely in this, that he obeys natural laws because he himself recognizes them as such. 
and not because they have been externally opposed on him by any uh, extrinsic will. And he, he said in another work, Liberty consists in me being entitled as a man to obey no other man and act only on my own judgment. Um, so this kind of sums up, sums up the general belief. It's the absolute right of all individuals to act as they wish, only responsible to themselves. Uh, and, and you notice this is a kind of very recurrent with anarchist individuals or groups. Uh, and I, I would say that this, take, again, taken to a logical conclusion, is actually quite destructive in the movement. Um, so Bakunin said that natural laws, uh, anything, or that there are natural laws that we are imbued with and anything outside that is unnatural so therefore it can only be maintained by force like the government the states or any arbitrary rules uh this is actually true uh but like our strike that this is a show of force and you have to choose a side right <laughs> uh which side will be imposing on the other so it, again it's not an abstract question and quite, I read Bakunin, and it's it's posed in a complete abstract way, without any context or historical. It's describing the historical evolution of a specific situation, which is what Marxism does. Um, so yeah, I think this is some of the problems with some of the anarchist theory. Um, and I think one of the issues is also it it never really explains where these coercive institutions come from. Uh, it's never it's never really explained. At least I haven't read an anarchist critique that would hold a candle to any real Marxist analysis. Uh, it doesn't describe where the state comes from. What is capitalism? Where where does class society come from? Um, all these questions are absolutely essential for us to understand. Um, and so the the solution to this conundrum is not to impose abstract abstract principles onto society, but to understand and analyze concretely how we got here. Uh, which is going to lead me to talk a little bit about Marxist theory. Um, and, and the main thing is the origins of the state. Um, so the state, um, I mean, for the vast majority of human history, there was no repressive state apparatus or class exploitation to speak of. Um, yeah, it was mostly... Uh, uh, the, the, this At this historical phase, for like 99, 98% of human society... Uh, the, the development of the productive forces technique, the productivity of labor, was very low. Um, so this is largely hunter-gatherer societies, what we Marxists refer to as primitive communist societies, because the social economic basis was communal and egalitarian. And therefore, therefore, there was no state. There was no separate body with arms that imposed rules on everyone else um, and, and, and actually enforced the domination of a small class of people uh, that didn't really exist so there was a lot and then th th but basically at a certain historical period there was a huge leap forward in the development of the productive forces technique uh, and productivity of labor which is known as the neolithic revolution you may have studied a bit about this um, uh, and this is where you had cultivation of land domestication of animals uh, allowed for the sur surplus for the first time to be created uh, and this allowed for a small layer of society to be liberated from labor. Uh, this generally started with sort of priestly caste, um, and then society became divided into classes, and divided into the haves and the haves-nots, uh, the ones who own the means of production, those who don't, those who have to work, who have to labor. Uh, and this situation could not be maintained uh, except by having 
a special body, a state, to enforce the situation. Otherwise, uh, well, I'll quote Engels here, who explains the situation. He says, A state is therefore by no means a power forced on society from without. Rather, it is a product of society at a certain stage of development. It is the admission that society has become entangled in an insoluble contradiction with itself, that it has split into irreconcilable antagonisms, which it is powerless to dispel. But in order that these antagonisms, these classes, with conflicting economic interests, might not consume themselves and society in fruitless struggle, it became necessary to have a power seemingly standing above society that would alleviate the conflict and keep it within the bounds of order. Uh, and this power arisen out of society, but placing itself above it and alienating itself more and more from it is the state. I apologize for the long quote. That is a very good quote, though, and I recommend the book that that's from, The Origins of the Family, Private Property, and the State by Engels. I believe it was posted in the chat. Um, therefore, the state, in the final analysis, uh, and armed is, is armed bodies of men and women in defense of certain property relations. In capitalism, it's in defense of private property of the means of production. And it's taken various forms uh, throughout history. Um, slave, there's a slave state maintaining slave relations, the feudal state remaining serf, or, uh, maintaining serfdom, and now you have the capitalist state. Um, um, so therefore, the state, state power uh, actually exists for very material reasons. Uh, private ownership of the means of production and the divis division of society into classes. Uh, therefore, the state, uh, as much as like a lot of anarchists would want, and actually I sympathize with this idea, this, this, this yearning for the state to be abolished, right? Just abolish it. Uh, it can't be abolished any more than you can just simply decree no more money or something like that. Uh, like, we don't want the phenomenon of money anymore dominates our lives. It, these things cannot be abolished. Uh, we must work to do away with the material conditions that have, have given birth to the state. Uh, which is, again, private ownership of the means of production, production for profit, uh, division of society into classes. Which can't be just done away with in one fell swoop. Um, which is basically Bakunin's uh, perspective. So yeah, for Marxists, we study and analyze the roots of oppression, exploitation, and state power so that we can do away with these things once and for all. Now, I had qu I've quite often heard from anarchists that uh, Marxists are pro-state and they like the state or something, and anarchists are anti-state. Uh, that makes anarchism sound pretty cool to me, but this isn't really true, as I hope you realize from what I just explained. Uh, we, as you can say, we also want to do with the state. Uh, but we just, uh, we just understand how, because in order to do away with it, you have to understand where it came from. Um, now the question is, once you do away with the capitalist state, what do you replace it with? Do you replace it with anything at all? What's the perspective? Now, I actually haven't really heard a coherent anarchist answer to this, to be honest. Uh, uh, and so I think, but I think that this is a, this is the concrete question. I think it requires a concrete example to show us differing perspectives in a historical moment. So the one that I'm going to use is a classic. It's a very good one. It's the Spanish Revolution of the 1930s. So this is, in my opinion, I love the Spanish Revolution. It's one of the most inspiring revolutions that ever happened. 
uh, the Spanish working class led by the anarchists. Uh, yes, they did lead. Uh, they, they were they were heroes. You know, the anarchists were heroes. The, the Spanish anarchists they they were they were the best elements of the Spanish working class. Um, now, long story short, I don't have time to go into it. 1936, Francisco Franco declared his coup. He was a fascist. Uh, and the workers in Catalonia uh, rose up, smashed the fascists at the barracks, defeated the coup in a large part of Spain, uh, took up arms, created workers' militias, nationalized the railways, the factories, the telephone exchange, uh, had workers' committees doing this. Uh, you can read about this if you, if you read, ever read uh, George Orwell. You should read uh, his Homage to Catalonia, where it's a first-hand account because he was there fighting in one of the militias. Uh, on the side of the of the republic against the fascists, but the question here is, what happened? Looks like it was all good. Anarchism is dominant in the movement. They're defeat. They're fighting. They have militias against the fascists, right? Well, here is where you see some of the weaknesses of anarchist theory. Um, so what happened was that the workers had essentially taken control in Catalonia, uh, but you still had the bourgeois state. So what I mean by that is the, the capitalists still formally had power. Uh, so what we call this, is a, 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 as Marxists, is a, a situation of dual power. Uh, what was needed was for the workers' organizations, mostly led by the anarchists, to formally seize power, abolishing the bourgeois state, yes, abolishing it, <laughs> overthrowing the bourgeois government, the republican government, uh, and forming a workers' republic. Uh, a workers and peasants republic, and democratically planning the economy. Uh, that's what we argue for. That's what Marxists argued for. That's what Marxists argued for the, for the at the time. Real Marxists. <laughs> um, uh, but that wasn't done. Actually, there was an interesting moment where the bourgeois governor of Catalonia, Luis Company, he he actually he knew he wasn't stupid. He knew I don't actually have power. It's obvious that the workers do. I can't go anywhere without their permission. Uh, he actually said to the anarchists in the CNT, one of the main trade unions, he said, why don't you just take power? Like, you obviously have power. Which is probably the first time, I think the only time ever that that has ever happened in history. And they basically rejected that on principle, that we don't take power, we're anarchists. We don't believe in power. Uh, so this led Leon Trotsky to say that anarchism was like an umbrella with holes in it, useless precisely when you need it. And I think you can see why. <laughs> Uh, the workers were moving to take power, to take control of society, and you had their own leaders basically tell them no. Uh, um, yeah, so this is, a lot of people know about the Spanish Revolution, but a lot of people don't know about this, you know, and I think that's important that we draw the lesson from that. Um, so yeah, uh, just moving on here. Um, so yeah, what do Marxists argue? As I said, we believe that there needs to be a workers' government, a workers' republic, and what we'd call that is a workers' state. So why do I say that that's a state? I know the word state for a lot of anarchists is a no-no word. You don't say that word. Um, well, Engels called it a semi-state. Why? Because he said it was the government of persons replaced by the administration of things and the conduct of process of production. The state is not abolished. It withers away. So he's talking about the worker state. That it's a fundamentally different organ. It's the domination of the working class over the small layer of bourgeois. Uh, and its whole point is to do away with class antagonisms, not to maintain them like the capitalist state. Uh, but I don't think you can have any revolution without some form of state like this, you know? Which, I don't want to debate semantics, but if it, if it has arms, it's one class imposing itself on another class, 
I mean, that's a state for me. I don't want to debate semantics here, but, but that's, a, that's what I would call a state. Uh, and it's, it's, it's important. What's more important is what happens in the reality. That if the working class moves to take power, you better, you better help them take power and not tell them no. Um, um, yeah, so on to the question. I'm running out of time here, but I wanted to touch on the question of leadership. Uh, so I think uh, quite often you hear from anarchists that we don't want any parties, we don't want any leaders, uh, we don't want any authority. Uh, now, it's clear that the present leaders are obviously bad. I mean, bourgeois leaders are just all sorts of horrible, but even a lot of leaders, so-called workers' leaders, uh, leading a lot of the major unions, constantly selling out strikes, uh, leaders of so-called left-wing parties, I suppose, uh, are mostly indiscernible from liberals a lot of the time. Um, but, but does this mean that we should draw the conclusion that leadership uh, and authority in and of themselves are, are, are bad. Um, well, no, I think these, <laughs> I don't think that, that you should bend the stick that far and go in that direction. Um, because leadership and authority are actually entirely natural. Uh, every soccer team has leadership and authority. Every group of friends does. Uh, and yes, every single anarchist group also has leadership and authority. And we believe that if you do not recognize leadership, uh, then it will exist whether or not you want it to, and it will not be accountable. And that will actually become a much bigger problem because it exists, it's a problem, you're not recognizing it because you're not supposed to recognize it, but it's causing all sorts of problems anyway. Uh, so yeah, by leadership also, by the way, we don't mean one guy at the top yelling orders at everyone or something like that. That is a common misconception. We need, at every single level of the class, of the working class, at the lowest level of the shop floor to the tr in the trade local trade unions to the big up up higher you need leaders you need a, a leadership in general a political leadership that has good ideas that can explain what needs to happen uh, and so we believe as marxists that we must we must consciously build this leadership and that's what we're trying to do here with the marxist university we must consciously educate ourselves on the lessons of the past of past revolutions of theory of how capitalism functions, what class society is, so we can transmit these lessons to workers in struggle, so they don't get fooled by the capitalists, uh, and so that they know how to, to consistently fight back and actually force their authority onto the authority of the capitalists and eventually defeat them once and for all. Um, that's what is needed. So, we, and, and in order to do that, you need to be organized and you need to have leadership. <laughs> you need to have. Uh, you need to have uh, authority, actually. Uh, that's what that means. Um, now, I have heard... Uh, actually, I'm, I don't have time. I'm going to move on here. Sorry. Um, so I think one thing that's common, quite common in anarchist theory is the, over, is the emphasis on spontaneity. Um, uh, now, does leadership uh, negate spontaneous action of the masses? Not in the slightest, actually. That's a common misunderstanding. In fact, no revolution would be possible without the spontaneous mass action. Uh, as Trotsky said, a revolution is characterized chiefly by the masses entering the political arena uh, and attempting to take their des destiny into their hands. Um, but this, all that we, we argue as Marxists is that spontaneous action left up to itself uh, on its own uh, will not lead to the overthrow of capitalism and the establishment of uh, anarcho-communist paradise or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I think a couple hundred years of experience of revolutions de demonstrates precisely this. Uh, many governments have been brought down. Many 
uh, like a lot of property has been taken from from the capitalists, expropriated, uh, but without a consistent theoretical plan, without a consistent program wielded by a party, by an organization that can help to show the way, that has studied this in the past, studied the past and shows the way out, it, th th these things inevitably end in failure. Um, um, so I think there's many uh, concrete examples of this. We, we've had recently Occupy, Los Ignatos in Spain, the Arab Spring. I think even this movement in the States is largely spontaneous without leadership officially anyway. Uh, but the, And this is understandable. I mean, largely the, all the left parties and the trade unions have degenerated, become establishment organizations. Uh, so the conclusion of many people is we must take matters into our own hands. And this is a correct revolutionary instinct. Um, but is that the end of the process? Now, I think many anarchists would worship the formlessness of it all, the fact that there is no organization that's spon spontaneous. Uh, Bakunin himself said spontaneousness is everything in a social revolution. Uh, we would say that that's bending the stick way too far. Um, that, that this is trying to maintain the movement in its early infantile stage. And we believe that in the course of the struggle, the masses will put to test other, every tendency and leader and different leaderships and, and, and because that's inevitable, you have to have this. And they will, they will discover what works, what doesn't, through trial and error, and will discover the deficiencies of different ideas and different groups, and they'll find the strengths of others in, in what helps them to win more and more. Uh, and so I think we think with reflection and with our help, more and more people will come to understand the need for a consistent revolutionary program and an organization uh, based on the ideas of Marxism. Uh, and so that's the general, uh, that's the general uh, difference between anarchism and Marxism. Uh, we believe that you need an organized, coherent uh, a program uh, organized in the masses to help, uh, help them reach those conclusions. Um, and so I think in the absence of a strong revolutionary party, uh, uh, combined with this massive crisis of capitalism, layers of young people... Uh, who wish to, 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 to uh, change society inevitably and sort of initially fall on a bit under the influence of some anarchist ideas, which is totally understandable. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, we need to, uh, I think, work with these people, work with people like this. Maybe there's some people here like this. Um, and we need to fight against the common enemy. But also, that doesn't mean, I think as a good friend, you have to point out when your friend's making a mistake. <laughs> We should patiently explain the differences between anarchism and Marxism and polemicize and argue against incorrect ideas, abstract or anarchist conceptions of authority and leadership, and how they'll become damaging for the movement and how they actually make the movement unable to, to, uh, to win. And, and uh, we need to argue for the correct tactics that can lead the workers and youth to a victorious socialist revolution. Um, so yeah, the general solution that we fight for, to wrap up, I've had to skip over a few things, so I hope people come in in the, in the discussion. I've run out of time. Um, is we believe we need to fight for revolutionary Marxist ideas in the movement and to revive the best traditions of the working class, which actually includes a, a, quite a lot of anarchist uh, traditions, like in the Spanish Revolution and whatnot, uh, in the trade unions. Uh, and it's not logical to re reject things of authority and leadership outright as the problem in and of itself. It's kind of like putting the blame on the form instead of the content. Um, that the working class needs organization. That organization must have leadership. Um, that authority is a natural part of life. 
Um, and that I think it's, it's that we must build a conscious movement of working class people on the basis of these ideas to connect with the broader layers of the working class to make sure that we have the best leadership possible. Not that we have no leadership, but that we have good leadership. Uh, um, and, 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 and honestly, the demand that we have no leadership results in the complete dissolution of, or, of all organization and, a, and completely harmful to the movement. Um, that capital is a very organized, very centralized force. The state is very centralized. In order to fight this power, the working class, and I think instinctively figures this out in the struggle, must be organized. And yes, actually centralized in action. That you must unite together. The, 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 big, the big mass movements is an attempt to unite and force all of your power in one point, right? And centralize it. Uh, and this, this comes from the nature of the struggle, the necessity to do this. So our rallying cry must not be every individual should be able to do whatever they want whenever they want, which actually would come naturally from anarchist theory, but that every individual must submit themselves to the collective effort to liberate humanity. Uh, and I believe individuals are nothing. Uh, we can't really affect anything as individuals, but we can if we unite together. Uh, and I didn't have time to get into it. I had some notes on it, but I ran out of time about what happened in the Soviet Union. Because you could say, oh, well, that's all well and good, but what happened in the Soviet Union? Well, I would say that the degeneration of the Soviet Union wasn't because of any organizational principle of Lenin or Trotsky or, what, or the Bolshevik Party, as is argued by many anarchists, probably across the board, actually, and by many liberals and reformists and people in general. But it was because of the, the horrible material conditions at the time where they had a very small working class, most of the, po the, the productivity of labor was super low, it wasn't possible to build socialism in the Soviet Union. Now, the reason why I mention that is that is important to note because we do not have those conditions now. Capitalism, in its, all of its brutality, has actually created something very progressive. It has expanded the working class to unheard of numbers in the hundreds of millions. It has globalized and industrialized the world it has, it has uh, completely changed productive relations. It has raised the productivity of labor to unheard of heights. And in therefore, as Marx said in the Communist Manifesto, it has created its own grave diggers. Uh, those grave diggers didn't exist in too, many, too high number in the Soviet Union, in Russia, to be honest. And that was the problem, part of the problem. So I believe that, uh, that those conditions that existed in the Soviet Union that led to all these problems and tr and horrible decisions were had to be made and really bad really bad things happened to be honest uh, don't exist. Uh, not I'm not saying that we won't have uh, we won't have trouble that a revolution isn't hard that you won't be faced with many barriers and challenges. I'm just saying that the conditions are way more ripe and uh, for socialism, especially in a country like Canada with the massive educated, produ highly productive working class, there is absolutely no reason why we cannot build a vibrant, healthy workers' democracy and a socialist plan of production uh, uh, in, in the world, ultimately, and especially in a country like Canada today. And I think that the masses are starting to move into action. They're looking for the right ideas. Uh, and we need to, uh, we're Marxists, uh, the international Marxist tendency, and we need to show that Marxist ideas are actually the most helpful in the movement, the most useful in the movement. And yes, in a comradely fashion, explain why many Marxist or many anarchist ideas 
are actually counterproductive um, and help people realize that, uh, that Marxist ideas are the best ones to help the working class uh, be liberated of capitalist exploitation once and for all. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Fight Back Radio. Fight Back is a revolutionary organization fighting for the socialist transformation of society. We are the Canadian section of the International Marxist Tendency. We actively seek to educate workers and youth in the genuine ideas of Marxism in order to fight back against capitalist attacks and austerity and bring an end to capitalism. However, we won't be able to do this on our own. So if you agree with us, get involved. We can be found online at marxist.ca, on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Canada Marxists, on Instagram at Socialist Fightback, and on YouTube as Fightback La Riposte. For international news and analysis, check out In Defense of Marxism at Marxist.com. The music in this episode was General Strike by Soul Jazz Orchestra. They can be found at souljazzorchestra.com.